0: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert.
1: It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, and especially are we happy to have those who are watching today for the first time. Every week, every day, We have people call and say, this is the first time that I've seen getting to know your Bible. How long have you been on the air? And so I know there are people watching today for the first time, and we're delighted that you are. We want you to stay tuned today. We're going to be discussing a a very important subject from the Bible, the sufficiency of God's grace. The sufficiency of God's grace. Stay tuned for that discussion now today we continue to offer the free bible correspondence course and i want to emphasize as strongly as i know how the course is free you do not have to pay for it you will not receive a bill after you get the course it is free we're giving it to you to study in the privacy of your home so that you can learn more about the bible now that you might learn more about the course and how to receive the course, let's pause briefly.
0: To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll free 1-877-711-5214
1: I want to read now from 2 Corinthians the 12th chapter just one verse, verse 9 and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to notice this part of that passage. My grace is sufficient for thee. To fully appreciate what that really meant, you need to look at the background uh, of this passage and look at some of the passages uh, uh, prior to this one. In the second verse, the apostle said he knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. And then if you'll notice, it's in parentheses in the Bible, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell. He said, but God knows. And then he says, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. To the Jewish mind, there were three heavens. The uh, atmosphere surrounding the earth was one heaven, and then up where the sun, moon, and stars are was was yet another. And then Where God is was the third heaven. So this person was caught up into the third heaven. And then he goes on in verse 3, And I knew such a man. And then he repeats what he says essentially in verse number 2. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows. One one of the things we learn there is that man, man, man's existence is not dependent on whether he's in the body or out of the body. If he's in the body, he exists. If he's out of the body, he still exists. But this person, was, he says in verse 4, was caught up into paradise. So to be caught up into the third heaven is the same as being caught up into paradise. And he says he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now... The word paradise, I understand, is a word that's of Persian origin. When a Persian king wanted to bestow an honor upon a, a particular subject, he, he would allow that person to walk with him in the, in the garden or in the paradise. It was, a, it, it was a, the, the place where one would have association with the king. Th- this word is referring, of course, to, to heaven and where God is, he was caught up into third heaven. Someone says, well, I wonder what this person heard. And he says, well, it's not lawful for him to talk about it. It's not lawful to utter the things, the unspeakable words that he heard. And then Paul in verse uh, 5 says, of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. And then in verse number 7, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations that were given to me, Paul had many things revealed to him. He said there was given to him a thorn in the flesh. Now we don't have any idea what that thorn was. That uh, Some people guess that it was his eyesight. Some think that Paul was a cranky old bachelor. Some think that Paul had recurring headaches. Some think it was a, it was a weakness re- re- in regard to his apostolic responsibility. We have no idea of what the thorn may have been. But but it was a very painful thing to the Apostle Paul. And in verse 8 he said, For three times I asked God that it would be removed. Three times he prayed. But this was God's answer to Paul's prayer for the removal of the thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient. My strength, God's strength is made perfect in weakness, in Paul's weakness. That's how God showed his power and his strength in helping the Apostle Paul. So my grace is sufficient. But when we use the word grace, what, what, what really comes to your mind? What, what do we really mean when we use the word grace? I, I suppose the definition that I have heard all of my life I've heard preachers use it for many, many years, as that grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is favor that God bestows upon us that we did not earn, that we did not merit, and yet in spite of that, God bestows His grace upon us, His favor. Another definition of grace that I I think is uh, very close to this one, is that grace is God doing for man what man could not do for himself. Grace is God doing for a man what a man cannot do for himself. A man cannot save himself. So out of grace, out of divine favor, God devised a way whereby man could be saved. Man couldn't do it, so God did it for him. Another definition of grace that I think is a very good definition is that grace is God giving man what man needs and not what man deserves. I think an illustration in the Old Testament is David the man who's described as being after God's own heart. David sinned against God, and he he sinned against God by committing adultery. And he also had the husband of the woman with whom he had committed adultery to be put in the front line of battle, and the man was killed. So in essence, David was responsible for the man's death. And there came an occasion when Nathan the prophet stood before David, and he he said, now here was a poor man, and and he had just one sheep. And Here's a rich man who had many sheep. And the rich man took the only sheep that belonged to the poor man. What ought to be done with the rich man? And David was very harsh in his condemnation of the rich man. So Nathan unflinchingly said to David, David, You're the man I'm talking about. And then David said, well, I've sinned. And Nathan then said, well, then the Lord has put away the thing that you've done. He's put away your sin. And so David received what he needed. According to Jewish law, David deserved to die. He deserved to die because of what he had done. But God gave David what David needed, which was forgiveness rather than what he deserved, which was death. Against the backdrop of that sin, David wrote several psalms that are called his penitential psalms. Well, one of them is the 51st psalm, and he opens it by saying, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. He needed God's forgiveness And so God gave David what David needed rather than what he deserved. And I want what God, I want God's favor. I want God's grace. And I want God to give me what I need rather than what I deserve. Paul said that wrote that God said to him, my, my grace is sufficient for thee. And you know God's grace is sufficient for every circumstance of life. It really is. God's grace is sufficient with the troubles of life. The world is filled with trouble today. All kinds of trouble. Problems. There's a problem of war. There's a problem of hunger, disease. There, there's a problem of, of widespread, worldwide use of drugs, drug trafficking. There's a problem of immorality. All kinds of problems in our world. There's a problem of death. There's a problem of of people with broken hearts because they have had difficulties in their families. And how are you going to deal with the problems of life? Well, this is what God told Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. So God's grace is going to be sufficient when we have these difficulties. God will be with us. In Psalms 55, verse 22, the Bible says, Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. But you have to turn them over to him for God to sustain you. But God's grace is also sufficient when a Christian sins. Now, Christians are not perfect people but they are forgiven people. But but sometimes an individual falls away from the Lord. The apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, "Let, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now let me ask you a question. Why warn about the danger of something unless you're capable of doing it. Why why would I tell you to, to come back from town unless you'd already been to town? And why would I warn you about the danger of falling unless you could fall? You see, there is that possibility. As a matter of fact, a person can fall to the extent that they actually fall from God's grace. Some says, now, Brother Lambert, I've heard preachers say that once you're saved, you're always saved, once in grace, always in grace. Well, could I call your attention to a passage in Galatians 5 and verse 4? Who, whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Now, I've heard some try to explain that passage away and try to make it say something that it doesn't say, but it just means what it says. Those who would go back and and want to embrace the old Jewish law after they had become Christians would have fallen from the grace of God. Fact is, men can fall from grace. But now the answer to falling from grace is found in verse 1 of that same chapter. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So the answer to falling from God's grace is standing in His grace. That is remaining faithful. And the fact of the matter is that once we are saved, we, we can stay in a saved save state if we will remain faithful and true. Let me read a passage to you from the book of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. The word cleanseth in that passage in the Greek language means a continual process of cleansing. It's not just a one-time cleansing when a person is saved by being baptized into Christ. No. If we walk in the light, now there is the condition involved. If we walk in the light, and if you'll notice verse 5 of that chapter, 1 John chapter 1, God is light. In John 8 and verse 12, Jesus said he is the light of the world. And and the Bible even is light. Ephesians 5 and 8 says we're to walk as children of light. So if we walk as children of light, we walk in the light. We walk in fellowship with God. We walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Then we have fellowship with them. And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ is constantly, continually cleansing us of our daily sins. But it's conditioned upon our walking in the light. Now what happens when an individual stops walking in that light? Well, the grace of God is sufficient to forgive a person when that happens. Indeed it is. Listen to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do sin as Christians and we get out of the light, then what we need to do is just get back in the light. And in Acts, the eighth chapter, we have an example of a man who obeyed the gospel just like the people of Samaria did in Acts 8 and 12. The people of Samaria heard Philip preaching things concerning the, the, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and they were baptized. And in verse 13, Simon himself also believed and when he was baptized. So he believed and he was baptized and Jesus said, He that believeth and he is baptized shall be saved. So I have no reason to question whether or not Simon was saved. I know some say he was never saved, he was never saved. But, but the Holy Spirit inspired those words in verse 13 that Simon believed and when he was baptized. But then this is the man who tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. He, he wanted the, the power to lay hands on people and, and that was given to the apostles and the apostles only and, and by so doing he could impart miraculous gifts to others. And, and Peter told him, Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then here's what he was told to do. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So once we get out of the light like Simon, we need to ask God, To forgive us, we need to repent of our sin. And he wasn't told to repent of all of his past sins, no. He was told to repent of one specific sin. And that one specific sin was a thought of trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. And he was told to repent of that sin. And he wanted Peter to pray for him that God would forgive him. God's grace is sufficient to forgive us when Christians sin. But the grace of God is also sufficient to save a man from all of his past sins. Indeed so. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul wrote, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God's grace is sufficient to save us from our sins. We live in a world that's filled with sin. And there's no one who knows that any more than does God. God knows it. And there's no one who has done any more about it than God. He sent his son. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 15, there the apostle wrote that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. So Jesus was sent into this world by his father for the purpose of saving mankind. And he came as the savior of the world. In Matthew 1, 21, his parents were told, "Call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And he's savior. In 1 John four fourteen, he's referred to as the Savior of the world. But what kind of people did he come to save? Well, he came to save all people. He came to save murderers. Someone says, now, Brother Lambert, you can't be serious that he came to save murderers. Well, well absolutely. Absolutely. He came to save people that have committed murder. On the day of Pentecost, on the very uh, first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, there was a crowd gathered in the city of Jerusalem, and this is the occasion when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles. And the people that were gathered in the city of Jerusalem were the very ones that had cried out for the blood of Jesus. And yet when Peter preached to these people who were guilty of Jesus' death, and if you'll notice verse number uh, 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, they killed the Son of God. And yet on that very day, there were some 3,000 of them that were saved. And yet they had the blood of Jesus on their hands. He came to save immoral people. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, Paul said, No, you're not the unrighteous, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives a listing of various kinds of sins. But then in verse 11 he said, And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're justified, and you're sanctified. They'd been living immoral lives. They had some uh, marital situations that were wrong—they were living in adultery. They, there were men with men and women with women, doing unseemly things, and yet they were forgiven of their sins. You see, God loves all people, and His grace is sufficient to save all mankind. He can save good, moral men like Cornelius in Acts the tenth chapter, a, a man who feared God with all of his house. A man whose prayers went up as a memorial before God, he could save that man. Well, somebody said, well, Brother Lambert, if God's grace is sufficient to save everybody, how are we saved by God's grace? Well, let me tell you an Old Testament story. It won't take very long. Noah was saved by the grace of God. You remember God determined to destroy the world? He was saved by God's grace, Genesis 6 and 8. But, but Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 tells us he was saved by faith. He was saved by grace through faith, wasn't he? He was saved by grace through faith because he obeyed God. Genesis 6, he did all that God had commanded him to do. And he was saved by grace through faith because he loved God, believed in God, and he served God. Now, we're saved by the grace of God. Noah didn't save himself, he didn't know how to build an ark, he didn't know to build an ark, he didn't know a flood was coming. No, Noah couldn't, didn't, could not have survived the flood after having built the ark and said, I did it myself. No, he, he was saved entirely by God's grace. And there's not a one of us that saves ourselves. Even though the Bible teaches that, that faith is the work of God, we're not saving ourselves just because we believe in, in Jesus Christ. And we are to repent of our sins if we're going to be saved by the grace of God, Luke 13, 3. We're to confess our faith in Christ if we're to be saved by the grace of God, Matthew 10, 32, 33. And we are to be baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 27, and Romans 6 and 3, if we're to be saved by the grace of God. We we cannot be saved by the grace of God without doing all that God commands us to do. Somebody says, Well, Brother Lambert, aren't you saving yourself if you're baptized? Not any more than I'm saving myself if I believe in Jesus. It is an act of obedience to the Lord. I know sometimes people say, Well, you know, I believe you should be baptized because it's a command of the Lord, but baptism is not essential to salvation. There seems to be a contradiction in that because a command of God is something that I must do. And it is essential if I go to heaven. Look at Matthew 7 and 21. And thus to be saved with the grace of God, I must do what God tells me to do. I I must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ by believing on him, repenting of sin, confessing faith in him, by being baptized, and of course then after I must live a faithful, dedicated Christian life. God's grace is sufficient for us today. And we can have access to that grace by obeying Him, by obeying Him. His grace has appeared unto all men, Titus 2, in verse number 11. And it's for you, it's for me, it's for the whole world to be saved by God's grace. But we must do it God's way. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer.